the book of Philippians chapter 1. This morning we're going to be in verses 3 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. We have uh, just finished up the Christmas season where the phrase peace on earth, uh, goodwill towards men has been uh, uttered several times in many different contexts. And the word peace is a word that gets tossed about frequently. Back in the 60s, we heard the, the chance of uh, give peace a chance. And even today in our news this week, we read about North Korea and South Korea planning to get together and, and have discussions and, and the ongoing hopes that there would be peace in that situation and hopes for peace in the Middle East. The word peace gets used frequently, but many use the term but don't really know what it means or where it really comes from. One sense of the word that we are all familiar with is peace being the absence of conflict. And most of the time when people use the word, that's, that's how they are using it. But the biblical term is so much richer than just that. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is shalom that is used for peace. And it means not only the absence of conflict, but, but the presence of fullness. That everything is there. Everything is whole. Nothing is missing that ought to be there. Everything in place. And when we think about that sense of peace, we begin to understand why Isaiah referred to the Messiah that was to come, the Prince of peace. It is through Jesus that we receive this fullness, this wholeness, that everything becomes complete in Him and only in Him. We come to the New Testament, we read that it is His cross that brings us peace with God, our, our faith in Him, that through His death on the cross in our place, our trusting in Him, we now have peace with God. Not only the absence of conflict, but also the, the fullness of, of God's presence in relationship with Him. We also read in the New Testament that peace is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That as a Christian, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you're born again. And, and the evidence of that are certain character traits, one of which is peace in our lives. We are entering into this morning a new sermon series as we come into a new year. And I've titled it Peace on Earth. We're going to take the word peace in each of the letters that spell the word peace, and we're going to see how different words can come out of that that will represent peace and how we can be people of peace. You know, as Christians, we are recipients of peace. We've already talked about that. Through faith in Christ, we receive God's peace, and, and the Holy Spirit brings peace into our lives. We are people of peace. But we are also called to be conduits of peace. As God has, has called out to us to, to bring peace on earth, we are to do that through our relationship with Him and then in turn allowing that peace to channel through us into this world. And if we're going to have peace on earth, it's got to start, I believe, in the church. We see in Philippians chapter 1 this morning, Paul praying for that church. And I pray that as we read this text today and we study this, that we will seek to bring God's peace on earth by first praying for His church. The new year brings a renewed emphasis in our lives, and this is the opportunity to just that, do just that. Let's seek to bring God's peace on earth by first praying for 
His church. Let me invite you to stand, if you're able to, this morning, out of reverence for the reading of God's holy word. And we'll be in Philippians chapter 1 today, starting at verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time already spent this morning in corporate worship with our brothers and sisters. We have received such a blessing already. And Father, it is now in our, in our time of worship that we turn worshipfully to your word. As we open the text, we know that this is you speaking to us. Your word is true, trustworthy, powerful, authoritative. Therefore, God, as we come to your word, we know you have a message for us, a message that will not only inform us, but transform us. So, Father, I pray you would speak through me as I preach your word today. May I preach a message of truth, a message of power. Father, a message of hope as we think about this subject of prayer and praying for our church. Lord, may we be people of peace by being, first of all, people of prayer. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. About this time last year, we did a Sunday night study called Praying with Paul, a call to spiritual reformation. This was a study that was taught by D.A. Carson. And in that study, he looked at several of Paul's prayers in the New Testament and showed us how these prayers can be good templates for us as we seek to pray for others, for ourselves, as we seek to pray for our church. We should go to Scripture and allow Scripture to be a template for us to show us how to pray. And this passage here, I believe, is a very good template for us as we think about entering into this new year and seeking to be people of peace, first of all, that comes by being people of prayer praying specifically for our church. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church he established. We read about that in, in Acts chapter 16. As he was in Asia and he was seeking to share the gospel, he was feeling in his heart that, that something was not permitting him to do that. And It sounds kind of bizarre to us. Why would the Holy Spirit not allow someone to witness? It's because God had another plan, another place. Indeed, God wanted Paul to witness but it was in Asia, in Macedonia. And so Paul receives this vision one night in, in prayer and a man from Macedonia saying, come to us. And so Paul and his associates travel into modern-day Europe, begin to preach the gospel. They, they arrive at this place called Philippi and it is there Paul shared the gospel and many were converted and a church was planted. Later on, as Paul is writing a letter back to that church, we see him in the introduction in verse 2, say grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in all of his letters, opens with those two words, grace and peace, always in that order. It's because of God's grace that we then receive peace. Grace and peace come to us through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we can never have peace. And so Paul, entering into this letter, has much to say to them. But he begins with this prayer, praying for this church. And this prayer has two parts. The first part is praise, and the last part is petition, where he asks God for something. But first of all, we see from this prayer that we should praise God for his faithfulness. Paul offers prayer for God's faithfulness. He is celebrating what God has already done in that church. As we think about our church, think about God's faithfulness to us. As Paul is writing, we see several characteristics that, that jump out of this text as Paul is thinking about that church. And, and, and these, these responses ought to be ours as well as you and I think about Ephesus and God's faithfulness to us. First of all, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful. In verse 3, Paul speaks about the, the fond memories that he shares with that church. As he came into that city, went out to the river and found some women there praying, and he shared the gospel. And we're told specifically about a woman named Lydia, an upper-class lady. And it says specifically, God opened her heart so that she would believe the gospel, and she got saved. And then moving into the city, he encounters a, a lower class girl, a slave girl, who is filled with demons. And Paul, by the power of Jesus, casts the demons out of this girl. And, and we're, we're, we're led with the impression that she then becomes a believer also. Later on, Paul and Silas are imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And while they're in prison, they're singing and, and praying to God. And it says that everyone there was listening. And then through a, a miracle, the the jail was opened and the prisoners were freed and one of the guards there, Paul, was able to lead him to Christ also. So we have an upper class woman, a lower class girl, and a middle class soldier. Different ages, different social economic statuses, different religions. And the gospel is the same gospel. And so Paul is thinking about the life that he, that he had with them, the conversions, the baptisms, the life that they shared with one another, the ministry they enjoyed together, the fellowship they had. And Paul is so overwhelmed. And he says, I thank my God. He says, I'm so thankful that God did this for us. I'm so thankful God brought us together. I'm so thankful that in His providence He so chose to bring our lives together, to intersect our lives at that season, for that time, for that ministry, for that effort. Paul says, I thank my God because God is the source of all good things, especially the good things that take place in and through the church. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And all my minutes, Paul thought about the time he spent with that church. Now, it's a church he loved deeply. We can see that. It was also a church that had issues. There were some problems with unity, and there was always the threat of false teaching. And the letter goes to spell out those things. But Paul doesn't dwell on that. Paul says, I thank my God upon all my remembrance of you. Every time I think of you, he says, I thank God for you. We must, we must think the same way about our church. We ought to think the same way about our church. Are you thankful 
Are you thankful for God's faithfulness? Then in verse 4, we see let's be joyful. Let's be joyful as Paul is giving praise to God for his faithfulness. He is joyful in verse 4. He says, always offering prayer with joy. Prayer with joy. Now, joy is supernatural. It's not the same as happiness. Happiness is based on situation, your circumstance. It's contingent. It's an emotion. It comes and it goes. Depending on what's happening in your life, you can be happy or you can be sad, but you can constantly be joyful. Joy is another one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you've got Christ in your life, you can and should have joy. Even in sadness, you can have joy. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, for each member. Not just some, but for all. As you thought about the church, for you all. Every time I think of you, I pray for you all, and I'm filled with joy for you all. Are you joyful for your church? Let's be grateful, verse 5, Paul says, in view of. He says, I'm joyful as I pray for you all because and I see and I'm reminded and I think about your participation in the gospel. Your participation. The word there in Greek is koinonia, which we get the word fellowship. It says, your fellowship in the gospel. If, if we have the gospel, we have fellowship. As we saw in the missionary video, even in Japan, where the culture is different, the language is different, and so much is different, but if there is the gospel, there is fellowship, and there is togetherness. There's unity, something in common. If we have Christ Jesus, we have fellowship, participation in the gospel, in the good news. How did that church participate? Well, Paul talks about a generous gift that they sent to him as he was at this time in, in jail. He was in prison as he wrote this letter. And he still had joy in his heart and thankfulness in his heart. Gratitude. Their generous gift. But also he speaks about their perseverance from the first day until now. He said, you started out on this pathway and you are still moving on this pathway and I am so grateful I'm so grateful of your participation in the gospel that's continuous. You persevere. Not only you're generous, but you're persevering. And he's grateful for that. You're grateful for your church and our fellowship in the gospel, the generosity of your church, the perseverance that's seen in the lives of the members of this church. Are you grateful to God for that? Then in verse 6, Paul reminds us that God is faithful. That He is faithful. Paul is confident in that church, but his confidence is not rooted in that church itself. He says in verse 6, 4, because I am confident of this very thing. What's Paul confident of? That He, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it or will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, until judgment day arrives. So what Paul is telling that church and what Paul is telling us that salvation begins by a work of God, that he who began a good work in you, the good work begins by God's grace in us. As you hear the gospel, much like Lydia did in Philippi, as you hear the gospel, God opens your heart to believe and trust in the gospel to turn from your sin. 
He who began that good work in you because God starts it, God finishes it. He will complete it. He will perfect it. It means you don't earn your salvation, and if you don't earn your salvation, neither can you lose your salvation because it's an act of God's grace. It's based upon His faithfulness to us. Confident in this very thing, He who began a good work in you, He will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That ought to give you assurance that it's not based on your goodness, your, your ability to stay good. Well, I just got to be good. You know, God is good. And because God is good, He will keep you. He will preserve you. And God is faithful. And we should praise God for that. Paul is thinking about God's faithfulness to that church. God said, or Paul says, God started a good work in you. God started this church. Even through Paul's efforts, he recognizes it was God who did it. God began a good work in Ephesus Baptist Church over 160 years ago. God is faithful to complete it. God is still doing a work in and through this church. God began a good work in your life the moment you heard the gospel and received Christ and were born again. God began a good work in you. And He who began that good work in you, He will be faithful to complete it. You've got to trust in Him and His faithfulness, His ability, His goodness. He will bring it to pass. And Paul was, uh, was grateful for God's faithfulness in that church. And we should be also in ours. Paul was mindful in verse 7, and let's be mindful. Mindful of what? Paul says in verse 7, 4, it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Paul's thinking about the way he feels about that church. and He says, this is right because I have you in my heart. We see his pastoral affection for those people. You all were talking earlier about the times I spend in the hospital or the times I spend in, in care and, and the reason why I do that, the reason why you can't get rid of me and I, I just keep sticking around so much is I have you in my heart because you're my family and I love you all and when one of you is suffering, I suffer with you and one of you is celebrating, I'm, I'm there celebrating with you. You're in my heart as much as I'm in yours. And you see Paul saying that to this church, it's right for me to feel this way. I have you in my heart, his affection for them. He says, in the good times and bad times, since both in my imprisonment, that's a bad time, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, that's good stuff, you are all partakers of grace with me. He says, we're in this together. I've partaken of grace and so have you, and therefore we are partakers of grace together. Together, you are all with me, partakers of grace. That means there's joint Christian ministry. In the good times, the bad times, the generosity and the perseverance and, and all the ministry and, and all that takes place in the life of a church, Paul says you are all partakers of grace. With me. We, We've all received grace. We're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. He says that, that, that you are, are fellow ministers along with me. Paul understands he's not doing this alone and he can't do this alone. 
It's not the responsibility of one individual to do all the work of the ministry. For, for whatever reason, in, in, our, in our culture today, we, we've kind of adopted this model of the pastor as the CEO, uh, the one who, who, who does this, and, and we pay his salary, and he does the work. It's not biblical. We're taught that God has given us pastors and teachers for equipping us, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, that we're in this together. We are partakers of grace, grace in our salvation, but also grace in our service. We are there for one another. We're in this together. That means appreciation for those who labor hard and diligence for this church, those who teach and, and those who clean and those who cook and those who encourage and those who pray and those who give and whatever ministry that you have in this church. Let me tell you today, I appreciate you because I know this church cannot function without us being partakers of grace together. It also means accountability. That means we're in this together. We're not Lone Ranger Christians. That means I'm there to, to, to help you and equip you to be faithful in your walk. And you're there to do the same for me. That means if one of us strays in that walk, that we are accountable to one another. We are to hold each other accountable in our faith, in, a, in our Christian walk, and in our life. We're there. We're partakers of grace together. We're, we're, we're doing this together. Paul says it's right for me to feel this way about you. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. And for you all to feel this way about me, this is, this is how it should be. Because we're partakers of grace. Let's be mindful of one another. Finally, let's be hopeful in verse 8. Even though Paul was away from that church, even though they were separated by miles, even though they were separated perhaps of the bars of a jail cell, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He was hopeful that one day God would allow by His grace them the opportunity to gather together and worship and fellowship again. He was thinking about that reunion. Let's be hopeful. As we think about those who have been separated from us, there have been those who have had to move elsewhere. There have been those who have gone on to be with the Lord. But as Paul has this affection for this church and he's longing for them, we are longing for one another. And we are hopeful that by God's grace, one day soon there will be a reunion. Whether it be this side of glory or the other side, we are hopeful because of the work of Christ that there will be a grand reunion. We should praise God for His faithfulness. Over the last several nights, Nancy has been very diligent working in the basement over at the parsonage. She's been moving things around. She's been reorganizing things. She's been cleaning things. She's been painting, hanging things on the wall. She even had me down there sawing things. And, and, and she's just, just got this project she's working on, and she's been very diligent trying to get these things to completion. But, you know, when you, when you have a home, there's always something, right? There's always something needs to be done, something needs to be cleaned, something needs to be straightened, something needs to be repaired. And when you do one thing, what, what does that do? That, that just goes to show you, okay, there's something else that needs attention now. Homes are always a work in progress. Same is true for you and I spiritually. We are works in progress. That means we, 
we're not yet the, the, the completed product yet. Aren't you glad for that? This isn't all it's going to be in your life. Spiritually, even physically, we're not the finished product yet. We are a work in progress, but we are told, as Paul reminds us, that he who began that good work in you, he who began that remodeling product, that process in your life, he who began that will be faithful. He will complete it. Sometimes we start projects we don't always see to completion. I'm guilty of that. But you are not one of those. You're not one of those projects. God will finish what He starts. We saw that last week in Isaiah. God says, well, I'll not bring to the point of delivery and not give birth. Isaiah 66, 9. God is faithful. And for that, let's give Him praise. Especially as we think about our church and think about all that God's done, all that God is doing, and think about all the individuals that God has placed in our church. And let's praise Him for His faithfulness. Then secondly, in this prayer, we see a petition. A petition for our fruitfulness. Our fruitfulness. Our, our servant. Our, our service. As, as Paul is writing and he is praying and, he's, and he, is, he is giving the Philippians an inside look at, at his prayer life and what he is praying. And it's a model for us and as, as Paul has an audience with God Almighty and he, and he is thinking about that church, what does Paul ask for? If you think about that, if you have an audience with God Almighty and you can make petition or request to Him, what are the most important things that you would ask for? We see Paul praying, first of all, for that church. And it ought to be our prayer for our church. First of all, that we might grow in love. He says in verse 9, And this I pray, and here's his petition, that your love may abound, that it may grow, and it may increase still more and more. He says, there's love already there. It's evident. You, you have love. You have love, for first of all, for God. And you have love for one another. You have love for your pastor. The love is already there. By the way, love is another fruit of the Spirit. Love's already there because the Spirit of God is there. But it is my prayer, this I pray, that your love would abound, that it would grow, that it would swell still more and more just like a balloon being uh, being inflated this picture of love and how does that happen it requires a couple things first of all knowledge of the word that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge in real knowledge the the the, the information the instruction and the, and that means that you and I must be intentional about this if we want to grow in love, we've got to grow in the knowledge of, of the Word because God is love. And you will never grow in love unless you become more like Christ. And you, the way you become more like Christ is to get into the Word of Christ. And that, and that means you and I need to be intentional about this in our personal study of the Word and, and our, in our corporate study of Scripture. 
our reading and our instruction. And, and we've got Sunday school classes that meet every Sunday morning with wonderful teachers that spend the week praying for you and praying and studying their lesson and just excited and, and, and overwhelmed with joy for the opportunity to instruct you that you would grow in your knowledge, in real knowledge, that the fruit of God would be displayed in your life. And Sunday mornings we have our worship services where the Word of God is open and the Word of God is proclaimed. There's many opportunities corporately that we have to get into the Word. If we want to grow in love, let's pray for our church to grow in love. Let's pray for our church to grow in its commitments to gaining knowledge of the Word. But also it requires application. It's one thing to, to gain this knowledge, but it's another thing to actually put it into practice. Now that you've learned this stuff, what are you going to do with it? It's meant to go beyond just up here. It's going to file this away. It's good to know for in case I'm playing Bible trivia one day. You know, God has given us this information for the purpose of transformation. And, and so we take this knowledge and, and we are to apply it. He says that your, your love would abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, discernment, wisdom, knowing when to put it into practice, knowing how to put it into practice, to take this knowledge and being discerning and having the wisdom that comes from God to know how this applies in my life, how this affects my relationships with my family, with my church family, with my coworkers. How do I live out this Christianity? Real discernment. Our love for one another grows when our application through discernment grows. Paul prayed that church would grow in love. That's my prayer for us. The love is already here. It's, it's, it's practically tangible when you walk in and you just spend time with any number of us and you can just feel affection and love. It's my prayer that grows even more. It just swells even more. Petition for our fruitfulness that we might grow in love. Secondly, we might grow in godliness. Paul wants, them, wants their love to abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that, here's the result of them growing in love through knowledge and discernment, application, the result so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Approve, distinguish, to choose from. It's like you've got this, this table full of food and you get to choose, like a cafeteria, and you've got to choose what's best. He says, I pray that your love would grow through knowledge and discernment so you can choose what's excellent. How often in your life do you choose mediocrity over excellence? How often in the church do we settle for mediocrity rather than excellence? And we want to offer God some offering that's somehow less than the best we can offer Him. so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to here's the goal that's why Paul wants them to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ sincere and blameless be more like Jesus I pray your love grows through knowledge and discernment 
so that you can choose what is excellent and become more like Christ. It's Paul's prayer for every member of that church. And he's asking God to do this because only God can make love grow. Only God can make godliness grow. And of all the things Paul can ask for that church, he's praying for love and godliness to grow until the day of Christ so that they would remain faithful. He says, I know God's able to keep you until the day of Christ Jesus, and I pray that you would grow until the day of Christ Jesus. You won't stay the same until the day of Christ Jesus. You would grow in love and godliness. And finally, that we might grow in service. In verse 11, having been filled, this is a perfect passive phrase, perfect past tense, something that's done in the past with resonating effects into the present. Having been filled. Filled is passive. It means it's something that's done to you. You can't fill yourself up with the love of God. You cannot fill yourself up with the power of the Spirit. It must come from above. It must come through humility. It must come when we yield ourselves to the Spirit's influence and His control. Having been filled, already done with with ongoing ramifications, already from above, filled with what? The fruit of righteousness. The fruit, the evidence. Righteousness, a right standing with God and and actions and attitudes that, that convey you are right with God. The fruit of righteousness. How do you get that? It comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way because Christ Jesus is the one that gives us His righteousness by faith. We become the righteousness of God by Him because He became sin for us. And then he says the ultimate goal is to the glory and praise of God. That we might grow in service, that we might become more like Christ. Being filled with His Spirit makes us more like Him. We are filled with the fruit of righteousness. How do we know we're like Christ? Well, we become a servant. Jesus said himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Why? Because he loved us. And out of our love for one another, we ought to be willing to surrender our rights and our privileges just like Christ did. And Paul gets into that in Philippians chapter 2. He set his glory aside, humbled himself to come and die on the cross to serve us. Become more like Jesus becomes to become more of a servant just like Him. So as we think about our church, we think about how Paul wrote to that church and, and we take that as a template and then we carry that over and we think about our church. Let's praise God for His faithfulness to us. Let's also petition God for our fruitfulness that we would not be satisfied with what's happened in the past. Praise God for everything He's done in the past. To God be the glory, great things He has done. Let's not be satisfied with that, though. Let's keep striving. Let's keep growing until the day of Christ Jesus. God, He's going to keep us saved. We don't need to worry about that. So we labor not to keep our salvation, but we labor to demonstrate out of gratitude for God's salvation that He's given to us. So let's seek to bring God's peace on earth by first of all praying for 
his church, praying for this church, praying for our church. We've got so many opportunities to do just that. On Wednesday night, starting this Wednesday, we've got business meeting, but following that, on Wednesday nights, we're going to take the opportunity to, to do some training in the area of prayer. We're going to be, be studying prayer, kind of a school of prayer. Let, and, and we're going to come together and see what Scripture has to say, and we're going to look at different tips and techniques, and we're going to dialogue about that, much like we did this last Wednesday with Scripture reading. And we're going to talk about prayer, we're going to learn to pray, and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for our church, for our fruitfulness as a church. We also have cottage prayer meetings every month, and we've got one coming up next week. And it's my goal that we would take these that we've been doing and we would, we would go even deeper, that we would become even, even more fervent in our prayers. And it's going, it's going to take some of us getting out of our comfort zones. But I, I pray that we would take prayer in that regard even more seriously than we have. And, and it doesn't have to be an official church meeting for you to pray with other church members. I, I encourage you, get together often with a couple of other church members and just pray for one another. Just an informal gathering and just saying, you know what, let's get together and pray. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our church. Pray for the, the ministry of our church that we'll see more people saved and baptized. There are all kinds of opportunities for us to pray. As Paul said, he prayed for, for them all. And so one of my goals, hopefully in the, in the very near future here, we're going to have an updated membership list that we'll give to all of you to put in all of our homes. That way you can look through our membership list and you can spend time praying for each and every member. As, as you know of needs, some of them you don't even know, but you can still pray for them anyway. We ought to be praying not only with one another, but for one another. As we enter into this new year, 2018, there's so much potential I look at our church and I see so much potential. There is so much there that's solid. So much there that the foundation is established. All of the pieces seem to be in place. Now let's just see this church take off and let's see this church grow. And it's not going to happen unless you and I are serious about this thing called prayer. It is the only way we're going to see us reach that next level. We cannot rise above the level of our prayer lives. Individually. But also corporately when we come together, let's pray fervently for one another and with one another. And let's see what God does. Because we know the truth. His people's prayers are powerful. So what that means is don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when great things start happening. Don't be surprised when, when unbelievable things begin to unfold. Do not be shocked and stunned when God begins to grow this church spiritually and numerically, when we begin to seriously humble ourselves and seek His face and bow our knees and become the people of prayer that God wants us to be. And in doing that, we will begin to see God's peace on earth grow in the way that you and I and that He desires for peace to grow. Let's pray together.